Welcome back to the One Broke Actress Podcast. Let me start out by saying it feels very frivolous in the world today to be recording an acting podcast. Um, it has been the weirdest couple of days ever, uh, ever. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, I would be completely remiss if I did not of course, comment on the fact that we are living in a coronavirus world. Uh, the Hollywood space has all but completely shut down. I live in Los Angeles and traffic has exceptionally lightened. People are working from home. <clears throat> it's weird. Uh, it's super weird out there. I am trying to keep things popping for you guys. I am trying to still produce content uh, our world is not completely going away, obviously, but it's hitting quite a weird slowdown point in a time in which it might not usually be. But also, who knows, right? Like, it's hard to tell what this pilot season slash episodics we're going to get into. So um, it's like we just have to keep going and doing our normal things until the world normalizes. I do think that actors are preconditioned to be really good at having weird structure to our lives and having no consistency. I think that we will all manage some way or another. We're really good at finding a hustle and figuring shit out. I know a lot of you guys are struggling because side jobs are canceling and shit's really fucking changing. I'm here for you. I'm trying to help as much as I can while also staying afloat myself. So I guess if you need something, like reach out to me or someone in the community. Like we're all just trying to get by right now and like keep our spirits up and not hug each other. It's so fucking weird. Should we just talk about the podcast stuff? I think we should. I think we should talk about podcast stuff. Uh, I'll keep it light. I'll keep it brief. I'll keep it happy because you've heard enough about this fucking virus for a lifetime. With an abrupt left turn, we are just going to get some regular paperwork stuff out of the way because I don't know what else to do. Uh, I am posting a new article to One Broke Actress this week, so keep an eye on that. It'll be the shows I'm watching and the movies and the stuff I'm doing in this weird amount of free time we all might be having. So I'll give you some stuff to do. Maybe keep your spirits up. Maybe uh, fill your day a little bit if you tend to have random free time all of a sudden. Uh, I also want to direct you guys to make sure that you are signed up for our email list and that you were following at One Broke Actress on Instagram because self tapril is still happening. Uh, we <clears throat> had planned to do a meetup <laughs> at the end of April. I will just tell you guys that now because I'm not entirely sure it's going to happen anymore. <clears throat> based on the current state of things. Uh, I'm going to still keep it TBD. I'm just going to hope for the best, but we are going to do self-tapril and end it all on a meetup. But we'll figure something out, I promise. I'm not giving up on that idea. Uh, but self-tapril is going to have a little bit of structure to it. Um, it's going to be two to three self-tapes a week. I'm going to be on We Audition at least once a week for you guys to read with me for free and to just chat if you guys want to chat about stuff. I will be on there just on for free settings to be your reader, uh, to hang out. Um, and we'll be bringing you extra content during the next month of April that has nothing to do with the podcast podcast season itself. It'll just be extra content around our self-tape season. Uh, and I just found out that um, Audrey on Audrey Helps Actors Podcast, I know if a lot of you listen to both, is also doing um, self-tape May. So why the hell not do both? You know, I'll do both. I'm absolutely going to do both. Self-tape roll, self-tape May. 
let's all band together as one strong force because God knows we all need each other right now very, very much. All right, let's talk about our sponsors for today's podcast. Of course, we have weaudition.com. Like I said, I'm going to be using the shit out of this for our self-tape roll. Um, I know We Audition is also hosting a lot of auditions right now, as well as meetings. Uh, it's a really great place to get comfortable with Skype auditions and meetings over a webcam. If you've never done it before, I can't recommend it enough because we all know auditions for a little while are going to be that way. So why not get comfortable with that setting right now. So go to weaudition.com and use code BROKE25 for 25% off your membership, which brings it down to $7.50. And our newest sponsor, we have Circumpunk Studio Photography. Victoria is offering you guys a special discount. If you tell her you heard about her through One Broke Actress, she's giving you two extra edited images, which is a value of $80. That's a fucking lot of money. So you should take some photos with her. I just took some. She is so fun. We had such a great time doing editorial shots. And right now she's running a 50% off um, discount on headshots. So that has nothing to do with this particular podcast. Um, that is just a discount she is running. So you should look at Circumpunk Studio on Instagram. Check out Victoria. She is lovely. Uh, we'd had a great shoot together and she takes great photos, especially if you're looking for some editorial. Man, we did some great, great, great dynasty type shots. And we also did some period pieces. It was so fun. So make sure to tell her you heard about it through One Broke Actress Podcast. But you should, regardless, use it right now anyway because 50% off is a huge freaking discount. So thank you so much to We Audition and Circa Punk Studio for bringing you episode 10 of season 5. Let's get into it, guys. Jenica Schwartzman. Damn, this girl is a hard worker. I think this podcast is actually perfect timing because I know a lot of you have some free time right now to be at home and to think about something you want to film, to write, to edit, to plan. I know everyone has a project at home and Jenica is the leader of an indie filmmaking industry. She is a writer, producer, actor. She is a work at home parent and she has a book coming out called Movie Baking, the Indie Work at Home Parent Filmmaker. Whoa, it's quite a fucking title. Jenica came on the podcast and not only did she bring me flowers because she's awesome, but she walked me through the entire creation of a indie film from start to finish. So if you guys are wondering if you have the capacity or the passion or just the day-to-day know-how to get through making an indie movie, this is the podcast episode for you. We start with the minutia of how to decide what you're going to make, how big you're going to make it based on the goals for making it. She really sets a structure in place for you to follow to actually make a film realistically with your goals, aka do you want to sell it in stores? Do you want it to go to film festivals? Do you just want good footage for yourself? And how each of those different pathways requires different needs to make the film. We really get into the nitty gritty of it all. And I just think this podcast is so inspirational if you've ever thought about making your work or also if you've never truly appreciated the people who do these kind of projects. It's mind-blowing, and I was exhausted by the time we finished this conversation. You guys are going to love Jenica. She's an awesome mom. She really also talks about the anti-hustle culture, which I thought was fascinating because everyone just talks about doing, doing, doing all the time. And boy, we sure hit a slowdown in the past week, and I think some people really struggle with that feeling. So we're going to talk about that and so much more today on the podcast. 
So without further ado, please enjoy Jenica Schwartzman. Thank you so no much planner. for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm I so talk excited. so much. I'm happy for opportunities to talk a lot. I, yeah, I'm thrilled. <laughs> Great. <laughs> the best guest is the one that I don't talk as much for. <laughs> um, you reached out to me because you have a book coming out and you have so many things going on. But I kind of wanted to start with how you are just such a multifaceted person and how you even can get here at 4.30 on a Thursday. <laughs> Be very kind. Yeah. Um, it's uh, very close to my house, so that worked out. <laughs> uh, I'm I, I'm just very lucky. Uh, Deborah Smith told me about this um, podcast and had talked oh, about a lot that. of things. So she's wonderful. She's actually at my house watching my children right now. Oh, she's the childcare you got? Yes, not oh my usual. God. But today, she and I had a production meeting, and I just said, um, can you please also just stay for an extra hour until my husband gets home? And she's lovely. And the kids know her really well, because we don't have any regular childcare ever. Oh, okay. So it's usually friends of mine that I see frequently enough that my children would feel comfortable and most people where I live in Hollywood just like drop by and say hi and like just do work at my house to wait out the traffic Oh, so. <laughs> like one of those halfway homes of friends who would yes. stop in and out. I have a friend who does laundry, comedian Joseph Schles, he's wonderful. He does laundry <laughs> once a week and takes a nap on my couch. And then Deborah stops in w- between all of her many thousands of things she does. I've got a lot of friends that, um, hey, I'm just going to stop by. Or sometimes they'll come home and they're already there. Oh, <laughs> they got the computer out and they're on the Wi-Fi and they're just having a good time. So I'm very lucky because not a lot of people with with children get to see other adults unless they're parents and so I have a lot of like non-parental friends that still visit me because I am convenient to them and I want that to stay that way. I also think that's a lovely thing to have in this town when you just never know what your schedule is going to be like at any given time. (laughs) What's the what's been the biggest change in your life obviously a million little things but from being a member of the creative world from before you had kids until now because we're going to talk a lot about the balance of life and like that whole thing but yeah it's it was a big change um I'm naturally very um creative and motivated to get shit done and to get to the other side of uh projects but I like to be involved in every step of the way not like my brother would say I'm controlling so I didn't (laughs) want to say not like controlling but I was like that's not true I gotta be truthful Maybe I a little controlling, but like in passionate a passionate is a lovely in word. A passionate way, <laughs> in a very maternal spirit, I always had, and like going into parenthood, knowing that my kids um, and the way that we raise kids is always going to be integrated. Um, my parents, their lifestyle was very integrated with our child, like raising children, and so I knew that my kids would always be with me doing things. Being in a creative job, I think. Uh, lended itself better on a relative scale Mm -hmm. than a job where I felt like there would be more structure or a lot of rules I'd have to follow because I have a hard time with rules. Uh Like I like to follow rules that I agree that should exist, (laughs) but rules that I don't agree should exist. I have a really hard time um, just not being mad at them. Like I could follow, but I'm like pissed off about it and I let everybody know and I want to do something about it. I'm motivated. It's called rebellion, I guess. Rebellious spirit. I like like it. So yeah. were you were you doing 700,000 things before you had a family as well? Like taking yeah. back to the early days. Yeah. When I came to the early days of childhood, because I'm so young. <laughs> so early days means childhood, right? Not sure, like yeah. when I came to were LA. Like creative, crazy kid. Um, I've always been multiple. Like I like to paint. 
I like to write. I like to perform. I've always performed my whole life. I've been very lucky to perform my whole life um, on small stages and regional theaters. And my parents were pastors, so I performed at church all the time. Oh, that comes with, with or without so preparation. <laughs> yeah, so I was always in front um, if I needed to or wanted to, or if it served somebody better. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I need you to go up there and do this thing real quick. So it made a lot of sense to just be involved. Um, as well as I enjoyed it. And my brothers played more instruments and I was more, uh, I can talk or I can sing or I can do this play or whatever. So when I decided to come to LA to be an actor after training and going to college, um, I was very on top of the, I was excited to do the business part. I had already read the Bonnie Gillespie book and I had already like prepped myself to come to LA. And smell management for actors. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out. Um, I had already gotten excited about doing all of the things that I thought I was going to do. And then um, I'm very anti-hustle culture. Yeah, I want to talk about that. I am against the individual meritocracy that you can do enough to fix enough that controlling mentality that you can make work happen and after a few years of getting cast and having projects still not come out ever was a pretty big turning point and then I got cast in a movie my husband and I um, we both worked on it but I was so excited. I was the lead actress. I was like out of town in a hotel and I felt amazing and it was like really small and I still felt amazing and I loved everything about the process and I wanted to know what was next and they didn't know what was next and it was such a letdown to be like none of these projects come out. Why do they never come out? What's going on? And so I jumped in to be like let me help. Let's go to the next steps. Um, I'll learn an entirely new... At this point, I was just married. So 24, 25, maybe. Young, living in LA. Living in LA, working on movies. Hopped. And like, I would really like to learn an entirely new business to make sure that the business I've already invested a decade into actually like matters. And so I, you know, did all the pitching for distribution companies, figured out how that worked, or did the contracts, negotiated. And then when it was done, I discovered through peers that. That doesn't happen a lot, and not a lot of people get distribution deals very easily in their first, like, and I was like, well, it wasn't easy, but thanks. (laughs) And um, I negotiated all of it, and I feel like I had the internet, you know, that I did nothing. I had the internet. I had Google. I I had so many opportunities to just learn and read, and so much of it was out there, and it was the Wild West, and information was easy to get from a bunch of other like crazy hustle creatives out there. Did you just, so you decided you wanted to be a part of the next steps of a film after shooting. Yes. And did you just, did you just Google? Did you just ask around? Like how do you, cause to me that seems like such a whole nother world that I have no idea what goes on in. <laughs> well, 10 years later, I started a distribution company this year called Little Sister Entertainment. Thank you. Um, and that was built on accidentally starting a new aspect of this career to help support the fact that acting doesn't go anywhere unless somebody does the other jobs. Um, it was because we, um, we were able to take the film on the film festival circuit. We won some awards and I met other filmmakers on the film festival circuit and I was able to uh, go to every single panel everywhere we went because I was repping it as the lead actress it was a priority to be at the festivals Mm -hmm. it was a priority to be present the entire time because you don't win awards just submitting things you have to like do stuff and who paid for you to go to these things uh me (laughs) that's wild right yeah it's I mean without child care costs it's just a matter of finding somewhere like 
if it's in Phoenix, do I know anybody in Phoenix and can I sleep on their couch? Mm -hmm. It was a lot of that stuff. And like um, show up and just have fun and meet people. It's not a fancy experience at all. So I did years and years on the festival circuit. And I think that meeting other filmmakers and producers and directors and people who all were like the multi-hyphenate before it was exciting to be multi-hyphenate, but they had to in order to do the films. Um, I was meeting them as they were making it. It just felt like it was it, it was birthed out of the 2007-ish writer strike mm-hmm. where um, the new media world exploded because all these creatives needed to do something and they had nowhere to do it. And so I was very lucky to be jumping into the film world more heavily in, in multifaceted, like lots of jobs and everything around the time that all of those creatives had started making movies because they had like gotten their itch in a webisode and a short and a this and a bigger short and they made a feature. So I feel like I met a lot of really awesome people early in a really cool transition period for Hollywood. So that really lit a fire under you to continue to be a part of all aspects of filmmaking? Yeah, and my husband's a really, really good writer. And I was able to learn from him and we wrote together. And so then we would write and develop. And my brother's company came on to help like produce and make things. And then I would take point in distribution and then getting it out there in the film festival circuit before the distribution circuit, of course. And then um, once it was out there, learning all that and having done that from scratch each time because all of the pieces were inside my filmmaker collective family, mm-hmm. I feel like I was able to not only just learn a lot, um, but also lean a lot on my partners. I leaned uh, the stylistic storytelling, the cinematography, the sound, a lot of the producing stuff. I leaned a lot on these partners, um, but we were all very close and had a good relationships. Like from, they were all mostly from my hometown, mm-hmm. so we had um, a lot of trust in me taking ownership and being able to work on some of those really early stages and really late stages with that same type of ownership. I think it lent. Uh, each project got a little bit more uh, love and attention um, from all of us than it would have when usually on these smaller films, there's like one passion project person. Right. And right. We, you can always tell. Yeah. <laughs> like this is their movie, not just their vehicle, but their movie. And you want to support it and you want to be on it, but you don't take enough ownership of it. And I see it happen where these movies are all on someone's shoulders and um, a lot of our movies we've been lucky have been shared as a passion project for multiple people in their individual passions and um, yeah I was able to learn whatever I wanted to learn and it was a very free environment. And you've made was it seven to ten at yeah. this point from basically ten, start to finish? Um, most of them is like Brotherhood Pictures, their projects, which is my brother's production company, and then our projects um, under Purpose Pictures. And then we have other projects from multiple other companies that Purpose Pictures produces as well. But we didn't write them, but we produce on them. So like in total, it ends up that we did like 10, but most of it is like... I negotiated 10 distribution deals. That's (laughs) But how we got on board, sometimes I was cast as an actress and then got into the project and then became a producer later, which happened on Ridge Runners, a sex trafficking crime drama. Mm -hmm. I was cast in that. And then once we got into the room and I got to know them really well, and I was like, so what's next for this movie? And they're like, we don't know. And I was like, perfect. I know what to say now. (laughs) Give me your movie. It's good to know Um, to ask that question too. I don't think a lot of actors think 
I think a lot of actors see a film and they get excited to be in it and we do our job and then we kind of walk away. Yeah, because you're supposed to because nobody wants your opinion. Yeah. (laughs) Get out. You're so expensive. We don't want you around anymore. (laughs) You're a liability. Please leave. Well, you walk You're not going to like the poster, so go away. (laughs) We don't want to care about your font ideas. Yes. Will you walk us through like how to do for dummies style of how a film gets made? And this sounds kind of like a little (laughs) arbitrary and probably past your like area of expertise no it's but I think every film's different so it's fun yeah and if there's if there's a main theme of how most things go I think uh we do only see one side of it and I think knowing like you know what the next step is what's usually involved in that like walk us through since you have been a part of so many now like walk us through that process in a perfect world slash very poor world because I feel like I could speak better to that because all the dominoes have to fall perfect and they all have to be exact or else it doesn't happen Um, but in a a world with money things change and also things go much slower Mm -hmm. I call it the problem of money where people make decisions about what they can afford and not what's best for the picture so because you can make uh because you can cast this person and because they're remotely interested and because they're an option casting them would be great but does that person's name talent really pull the amount of money that it pulls from the total production? Which I'm very much in, obviously, like, talent is the main key in the success Mm -hmm. of most features um, in the indie world. But I would also say that um, if you're not casting the right person for the project, does it matter ever? Yeah. And so it's not saying that um, a more famous person isn't the right person. It's saying that you're making a decision with the money about what you can afford and not making a decision about what's best for the project. So I'm all about goal-orienting um, each individual project. Okay. So if this goal is a, a, a writer's calling oh. card or if this goal is a director's award winner or if this goal is to be in a movie theater, if this goal is to be on Walmart shelves, your movie would be made a thousand percent differently every single time because you're doing everything towards a um, a goal that is attainable because there are certain elements, value-added elements that need to match up with that. Your key genre matters if you're going to be, like, let's say, on a Walmart shelf. I was mm-hmm. just speaking with a manufacturing partner the other day, and what mattered to him is to discuss, like, I wanted to know about... So I have this director with this Western. Um, Is this the sort of movie that would be smart to go in the DVD market? And he said, well, if, if it was the right key art, if it was the right title. Um, And I said, okay, what's the talent level? And he was honest that like, well, the talent level needs to be really high. But if it's a genre like Western, the talent doesn't matter as much as the key art for the first like second. And then it matters. So there's like a lot of things. In the streaming world, your key art matters um, in a completely different way. It's not about what jumps off the shelf. It's about what jumps off the screen. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing a horror genre versus a family genre versus, you know, a Christian movie versus a Christmas movie, like you have to make it within the genre and where you spend your money counts. Like, do you need your lead actress to be a big deal actress and spend all your money on her to get this Christmas movie where you want it to be? And then you can spend a little less money in another area that you normally would punch up a lot like if you have a sci-fi you need a huge vfx budget and you need a team that can handle that and you need to be able to have a lot of time to allocate because time and money are both things that you have to budget this is so interesting it feels so it makes a little more attainable to be like what is your number one goal yes and like where how do we get from point z 
all the way back to point A and start exactly. here. This is so much more like digestible in a way for someone who knows very little about <laughs> all the back end. Like if you want to be in a movie and you are really excited about being in like Westworld, so mm-hmm. you want to show off that you could be seen in something like that, then maybe you want to be in a Western. And if you want to be in a Western, you want to be in a Western where you're on the cover in a gorgeous dress and a hat on a horse. So take lessons um, <laughs> before you write the movie. And if you're making that movie, then it would go with the writing and then you would decide on probably with budget level, location would probably influence your budget a lot so location would probably need to be decided before budget and then you'd be budgeting around that Um, and then the next step would be finding all that financing and I'm very much a supporter of crowdfunding I'm also very much a supporter of not 100% crowdfunding but one-third you know one-third crowdfunding one-third sponsorship one-third in-kind support And I'm all about like how to uh, save your social capital so that you're not using your crowdfunding on that short film that feels really good. But you're saving that social capital for the one thing that you need the money for because you can make a short film really good without $20,000. I think that is fantastic because (laughs) mm, there are so many people who ask me for money all the time Mm -hmm. and I don't have a lot to give and what you I know it's crazy who in this room would not give a thousand dollars to every stranger getting 1700 political emails a day right now yeah uh and texts now so many flyers in the mail so many trees uh (laughs) um but it gets kind of overwhelming and to go back to that meeting spot when you when you sit down and decide what the ultimate goal is yeah is there someone in a specialty that you would sit down with to kind of have that discussion? Would it be a producer? Would it be like, how do you find that person? Um, I think that you have to have a passion for the genre of a story that you really want to tell. Um, If you're doing it to make money, then there's teams you can hire. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing it because you care about a story, I think that you have to care a little bit about stories like that or the genre, or I think you have to be able to dig into it or... I mean, honestly, you could just go to the top 10 film festivals, what were their winners, which ones were in this genre, look at the key art, call those people. Like, there are ways to find films that are like, um, film festivals are an amazing catalog because you can just look them up and you can just see who won things. So you just assume it's not true, but you just assume they're a little bit better that year if those one's one. Mm-hmm. And you can look at their catalogs. Um, you can look at their distributor catalogs, all the distribution companies that you've ever heard of, or any movie you can look up on IMDb and find out who distributed it. They all have film catalogs. And then you can just look at their posters on their film catalog and just click based on genre. Like, that looks like there's a horse. That looks like there's a horse. That looks like... Apparently, there has to be a horse on the cover (laughs) if I make this movie. Okay, this person stars this actress. She's the lead in a TV show. Okay, maybe it doesn't have to be a movie star. Maybe a TV show star could be in a movie like this. Um, So that's a little bit more affordable. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I can't film during pilot season. If they're in a TV show, I can't film during that. So I need to film around the TV season. So if I'm going to be filming around that, what's the right season of year and what's the right part of the country to do that in? There's just so many decisions to be made, but you have to start with the ultimate goal and then to find those partners where you can get educated and all of that is to find the filmmakers. Because honestly, if you receive, um, I receive a lot of emails a day because people are pitching my production company people are pitching and it's all blind and I don't open any of them because if there's an attachment legally I can't open the email because 
if there's a script there, then I can be accused of things because there was an unsolicited script in my email. Um, so a lot of people don't open emails that have attachments. But if the first line that I see in my phone says, I watched your film and I loved it, I'm opening that fucking email. <laughs> so I say, in general, you can ask any question from a mid-level and below filmmaker, um, producer and filmmaker, above the line, like talent, and lead actor maybe, probably not. Um, as long as you send an email that starts with, I watched your film, and it has to be true, and I loved it, mm -hmm. and I just want to thank you, blah, 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 blah. If you ever want to talk about movies with horses, I'm making one right now, <laughs> and I have so many questions about your process. Um, at least that's a leg up towards that direction. Point. Because people like to know that you watch their movie because you work for five years, blood, sweat, and tears, and then you hand it to a distributor and they blow out your little torch light and then they throw your film away and you're so sad. But you're <laughs> hoping that somebody watched it anyway, and then when somebody did watch it, it's like... I'll open your email. That's so nice. Thank you. Only like 14 people have ever said that to me. <laughs> and 123 people said it on Amazon, but I didn't like half of what they said. Uh -huh. So, uh -huh. Okay, yeah. cool. So that's a good jumping off point to get really, really critical about the details. So let's say you have an idea of this Western that we're mm -hmm. obviously making. Cause this is very exciting. <laughs> we're getting very specific. Yeah. Okay, so we want to make a Western, right? We have sat down with perhaps you, and we wrote you and told you we liked your movie. And, and I was like, thank you so much. Let's have lunch. Oh, my God, great. And we sat down. I'm like, listen, I also want to make this movie. And you're like, oh, cool. Uh, uh, here's my idea of a budget. Here's my idea of this. I would like it to be sent for distribution. I feel like that's a big one right now that's pretty popular. Um, where do you go from there? Do you immediately start to get money? Do you like go back to the script and reevaluate your goals? Always reevaluate your goals between every single step because if a big, huge producer came on board, you would want to then think, oh, what's possible? What do we want for this? Does this change anything? Mm -hmm. Especially if you have a partner or partners, you want to always keep coming back to the fold and keep reevaluating re our goals, especially because. I'm an actor, my husband's an actor and a writer, and uh, we have lots of directors in our life, lots of people, and we all have goals that are personal, and we all have goals that are professional, and we all have goals that like, this film needs to have this goal for this film. Everything else is ancillary, everything else is something that we can discuss, but it's hard to not keep like crowding and like, muddling and uh, messing yeah. with your main goal because we're all like well I kind of wanted to take it to festivals because I really wanted to meet people there and somebody else is like well that's not in the budget and we're not doing festivals for this one so you have to keep talking out those goals because as things change um, new opportunities arise and you still have to like decide what does or doesn't fit with your model and a lot of that has to do with financing so going out yeah. for financing that's an impossible thing. I can't even say any advice because some people are just rich and some people write checks and some people don't write checks and some people crowdfund and some people do zero budget movies and I've done zero budget movies mm -hmm. and I've done small budget movies. I've done crowdfunding and tiny, tiny checks. Um, but the other things. Well, mm -mm. Mm -mm. <laughs> there's no way to ask people for money easily unless you it's kind of have a, a lot of practice. Right? You yeah. Have, have had good stuff to show to get mm -hmm. money. I'd say the majority of the issues I encounter 
is overly confident filmmakers who've asked for money from people who would have been viable investors in movies that I wanted to do that did have great pitch materials and were ready and had business proposals and were ready to go, but those bridges were already burned. Um, I've encountered more often than not somebody saying, this is a good person to go out to, and then that person saying, absolutely not, because, you know, the thing that you think about, I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Please do. Actors have reputations about being annoying and needy. You don't say. What? (laughs) I don't know if you know this. (laughs) However, um, I meet a lot of actors who are not annoying and needy. Um, But the squeaky wheel gets the media. And extremists in religion, extremists in every every area of our life gets the attention, gets the media, writes the stereotypes. So going out for money as an indie filmmaker, I'd say the hardest part is um, how do I set myself apart from the reputation of the other people who've come before me? And how do I set myself apart from the reputation of um, the people who actually did a really good job, but it didn't work out because of X, Y, Z. And, um, I grew up poor. I just don't feel comfortable asking people for a million dollars. I've never even asked people for this podcast for money. <laughs> I've tried to like five times. I get nervous. I just retract my steam. <laughs> I've made, you know, um, business proposals and I've sent them out. Mm-hmm. Um, just when it comes to the part where I'm saying like, this is a great investment. Every time I just keep getting hit over with the integrity of saying, this is not technically a great investment at all. This is only something you'd want to do if you want to be a patron of the arts. Mm -hmm. Because an investor in um, anything under a $5 million movie is a patron of the arts. It is not an investment. So it's a joke that we call investors. We call them financiers. Um, So when people are going out for investors, it's wrong. And when people are crowdfunding, young people and green people, which we were all green, so it's okay. Um, sometimes you think that you're asking for investors, which you're not. Um, so there was an investor crowdfunding platform that was getting launched, and I don't think it ever happened. Um, it's really hard to obey all the rules of the law and like guidelines, and um, it's hard to ask for money and be a good steward of money. And so if you aren't independently wealthy, I just... I think you have to just say, like, hey, do you like movies? Do you want to make one? Do you want to be involved? You might get your money back if I can get enough partners on board to prove that that's possible, but it's still a risk, so you have to be a patron of the arts naturally. You have to care about the arts. None of this is very happy. Let's get away from this. Financing sucks. I like that. Financing's horrible. Let's not... Let's pretend that you crowdfunded and had some people donate money Mm, and other various sources, and you piecemealed uh, a film together. You have a budget. Now you Mm. have a script. Now you have but like a relative timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we go into casting, question mark? Um, casting might have happened before a lot of this. Okay, great. But like small casting, like um, one or two main characters or um, one or two side characters that are above the line team members. Uh-huh. Um, that <laughs> happens too. Uh, so some of the casting might have already be in place and then the location also is taken into account if you're in LA, your opportunities for casting open up. If you're outside of LA, your opportunities close in some ways and open up in other ways. There's like really good things about whatever you're going to do location-wise, genre-wise. Um, a lot of doors open for you if you take an actor who wants to work in a different genre and you give them their opportunity. Yeah. Um, which is great. Uh, yeah. So I'd say casting happens late in the game for the full cast. Okay. And then do you f- 
file like for example SAG paperwork in that process yes when? before you're doing the official casting which could be anywhere from three weeks out to f- four months at most Ugh, okay. out um I'd I love to it's keep a bit it. tedious Ooh. yeah <laughs> if it's your first time doing SAG it takes a few months to really get through some of those things because you're starting new uh companies and you're uh putting money into this and you're discovering this and you're finding out how to get health and in- like how to get insurance and how to find mm-hmm. a payroll company and like do you want to go with these companies like it-, it takes a lot of months to uh do SAG for the first time or two okay that's good um, to know but after a while uh like right now I filed with SAG yesterday and I'm shooting in three weeks and that's fine because cool. it won't be hard there's only a few SAG actors I know them all personally this was not like a traditional casting situation this was a you 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 but this person wasn't available so we'll find somebody else like it was just very simple uh shuffling around because it's like you have a company of actors that you feel like you can always go to yes that is um, called networking ladies and gentlemen you've done good work with people and they want to work with you again yeah, that's literally um, my pitch to the director is this person is a one-take wonder. This person we can afford to do for a day. That's yeah. so cool to We can know. get through three scenes in a day with this person. And that, and that's when like an actor's worth is past their paycheck. It's like yeah. what, you know, time constraint-wise, being trustworthy on like a, an indie film is so key. Yeah. Having credits that you bring to the table is important, but supporting it on the back end um, through the film festival circuit, supporting um, those filmmakers, even though they have nothing to give you, like being a legitimate like uh, community member, um, being respectful of how the process works is... Um, it's hard because I prefer actors who do content creation because they understand some of the background stuff. But I also think that that's incredibly privileged to think that other people can do content creation because yeah. that's not fair. It's not fair to say that actors have to create content, even though I obviously prefer it. Yeah. But I, don't I would like to talk about that when that. we hit on the hustle because um, <laughs> I have I have a lot of feelings mm-hmm. about that. Um, mm-hmm. OK, so we have people. We have some money. Mm-hmm. We have a location. And then we shoot. Well, your crew is more important than all of those pieces put okay, together. Great. See, this because is your crew. Like, and then I'm on set. And right? then we're there, and all these people serve us. Um, and I take my Instagram picture, and I'm done for the day. Okay, I'd say so the crew, crew is the most important uh, piece of the puzzle in an indie filmmaking, like hustle life, culture, whatever, mm-hmm. because your crew is the life of the piece before your actors breathe life into the piece and your actors can only breathe so much life if, you know, uh, the design matters, your stylistic storytelling matters, your, you know, your perspective, um, the director's, honestly, the director's voice really, really matters on these smaller pieces. And whether or not you could put together a full movie, have you made a feature before versus a short? There's so many like things to take into account, but your individual crew members, your crew size, what they can handle, how tight-knit you're able to get everybody together ahead of time. Yeah, how do you... Safety meetings, like there's so much to take into account. I know this is all, this, this is literally what production does, right? But uh, if this is someone's first time making a short film, for example, and they're going all out and they're trying to do it by the book and stuff, how do you develop or how do you get together a crew I don't know how other people <laughs> do it anymore it's okay I, I like because before it. it was um uh people g- create relationships in cinema school mm. and if you can tap into people who are in cinema school a because a they're excited to do it and if you're able to tap into a group of people that have been able to put together um recent 
groups of people like getting a producer on board who's like I know these people um, if you go out into like there's a lot of Facebook groups you can find people um, if you're going to be shooting somewhere else uh, usually the state commit usally not all the time the state com- like film commission has a list of hiring crew people um, I like to say whether or not you know crew people in my book I said that I don't know if I do it much and I should <laughs> is um Go to MizInTheBiz.com and go under Hire a Miz or go to any situation that has like groups of crew people listed, including like unions have, you know, lists. There's lots of different ways to find people or Facebook groups for like small uh, production crews um, and interview three people for every job, three and no less than three mm-hmm. and more than one gender. Um, because their perspective and your conversations with them and just be straight up like, I don't know what you do and I don't know how it works and I don't know what you need. And they will educate you, which is very unfortunate. Um, but I've had so many crew people educate me and be gracious and thoughtful about how they talk to me and making me feel like that's okay to say, I don't know and say, oh, what are your expendables, and what does that mean, and where do I get those? Oh, I just pay for those. Great. When does that happen? You can ask professionals, which is unfair, I know, but you can ask professionals um, things that Um, normally like a department head would be hiring these smaller roles, Mm -hmm. but I think it's really important to, if you're doing it for the first time with the goal of, I will be doing this 20 20 more times after this. So I should probably like learn a little bit, um, interviewing like at least three people, then you'll get a better idea for, uh, personality. You'll get an idea of whether or not somebody's like, I do commercials for a living. I don't care about narrative and Mm -hmm. they're great and they've been recommended and their department head like kind of like I want this person it's like but if this person doesn't care about narrative and they make their money in commercials is this person the personality you really want on set I mean I'll trust my department head first of course but you should also have conversations (laughs) you should be involved in the process and you should learn and we should all learn everybody can learn how to say I don't know can you tell me or I need to use Google real quick I'll be right back. Oh my God, that's literally, I have, I have a podcast to ask people about a bunch of shit that I don't know about. Exactly. <laughs> and also, there's a form. lot of podcasts for a all ton. these different people. There's a lots ton. of them. Yeah. And there's lots of uh, industry websites where people write from perspectives of, hey, I'm an ADR mixer. This is blah, blah, blah. And you can I, learn a lot from people on the internet. I don't know how people made movies before the internet. But that's a whole mm. other discussion. Uh, okay, so we have a crew. Rich people. Rich people. So you have a so crew, and you have a cast, and uh-huh. you have a time and a place, and you're excited. Um, hopefully, if this is your first time, because I, I've i been a part of the first time, I leaned on my UPM, my unit production manager, mm-hmm. I leaned on my director, I leaned on my department heads, and I kept saying things like, what do you need, when and how, and what do I do? And bring them lots of water on day one as a producer, Bring everybody, take their water bottle, because you should have refillable water bottles on set that you provided, (laughs) and you fill their water up, and you bring it to them all day long, day one, day two, whatever, and constantly ask, if it's special, it's going to be multiple days that you're filming in this imaginary situation, Uh constantly ask, what do you need? Is there an issue that's something that you want to tell me? Because they're not going to be able to step away from their post to always tell somebody, but if you're there all day long, day one, day two, day three, then you get to like get ahead of day 20's issues. 
And it is incredibly valuable to be talking to people and checking in and on top of it and present and available and willing and always saying, I'll f- go find out. <laughs> I, th- I think this is super important because I f- uh, sometimes when people get to that stage of the process, they've already have done so much back work that they assume they're on a higher place in a totem pole. But I love the idea that if, if this is your movie, especially if you're passionate about whatever this project is, of you being anything to anyone who needs it while also taking care of the project. Yeah. How, do, do, how do you take care of yourself during that process? Also fill your water bottle. (laughs) I feel like I spend, as a mom and as a human, as a filmmaker, I feel like I spend so much of my day telling people to drink water. It's really not something I should be telling people to do, but I'm reminding them I'm hoping, and I'm hoping it's welcome. But I'm always like, and hydrate, and also are you drinking enough water, and did you drink any water today? Because I am just so surprised how little water adults drink. It's shocking. Yeah. I think about that all the time. Yes. Especially because, like, if you have to be reminded to drink water, is your body not reminding you? Something's broken. (laughs) Your lip's not dry. I I can hear it on your voice. You know, like, water is so important. I think that that's, like, a huge thing is... um, I love that. Are you drinking enough water? (laughs) An easily solvable problem. That and having food for people. Yeah. Food. (sighs) which I'm a big proponent on sponsorship and in-kind donations and community engagement to help with food. That's interesting. Because um, that adds up pretty quickly. It, food's very expensive and you want it to be very good. <laughs> and it's hard to make it good. And I think that food is communal and I think that food is an emotional thing for people. Mm-hmm. So not having options and what they want um, and everything always has like a weird effect on um, groups of people that don't know each other really well. Like when you're like meeting somebody new and you're like, yeah, let's meet for lunch. Where do you want to meet? And you're like, do I need to pick all the restaurants? Um, they're all going like to be salad. this. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, do you like sweet green and tender greens and everywhere that has the word green in it? Or do you like Mexican? Like what's the great equalizer? Is it Thai or is it uh-huh, Mexican? Uh-huh. Like you just want to figure out and it's very emotional and it doesn't need to be. Yeah. It wouldn't have been if you knew them really well. Yeah. So I think food's really, really hard to do right and to be thoughtful and to make people feel like they're taken care of. Because some people, comfort food is taking care of that, taking care of them. And some people, extremely healthy, no-carb food is uh, taking care of them. There's, <sighs> I've been Communication on, helps. Yeah. I've been on so many sets where no one asked. This was uh, Actually, it's been a while since no one asked this question at all. But uh, do you have any dietary restrictions? Yeah. And I've been on several small film sets where they just will order pizza because it's the fastest, easiest thing. And I know that the thought of just feeding us was there, but also there was no thought to, and then we also have to stand up and continue to do our jobs for six more hours on the fuel of pizza. Pizza. But we were all teenagers once. (laughs) And I think that it's hard to forget that some people... um, You know, before you turn 25, this is for um, the young people who don't understand. Before you turn 25, you can make pizza beef your fuel. And then I think at some point in your life, most adults come to a place where it's inadequate, but it's at a different point between 25 and 35 that it becomes an inadequate amount of body fuel for the day. So I think there's also like a miseducation in food that some people are insulted. They're like pizza and other people are like, fuck yeah, pizza. (laughs) I can see those two different people. Yeah. So clearly. I am somebody who 
eat so little of what I actually wanted growing up. So when I see pizza, I'm like, yes, but I know that it's going to be hard on my body. I'm like, fuck. (laughs) Exactly. That and Subway sandwiches, I could die. Mm. Okay, so we have food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, just take care of people and like treat them as people and also learn their names. Yes. Yeah. Talking about your first AD is really helpful because everybody knows who the first AD is. And I think it's really thoughtful for new people on set to constantly like label uh, positions. Mm -hmm. But using people's names is really nice. Rachel, our first AD, you know, Sarah, our first AD, so that people can constantly re-remember names. Uh, Makes you feel like when it comes to food, when it comes to issues, like... If you treat them as a person, it's it's easier if you know their name. Yeah, it's just just going to work in the office, except you might be in the middle of a desert shooting your western. Uh huh. So let's say we have a great shoot. Okay, it's beautiful. It was beautiful. Everybody's best friends. Everyone's there's so many pictures. Everybody's texting. Everybody's inside jokes. And then we wrap. And then this is party. I usually have a cocktail, Mm -hmm. and I go home, and I'm like, "Wow, what a great film! Can't wait to see it one day." So. Maybe. <laughs> I hope so. I'll get a call from a producer in six months that says, um, hey, well, you know, there's exciting things going on. And then three and a half years later, they'll call back and be like, oh, my gosh, I have so much news. I can't wait to tell you. Literally, I have a movie coming out in April that I shot almost four years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. Yeah. So cool. Which is normal. I have a movie that's nine years old that came out. I have a movie that is now 10 years old that's about to come out. I have movies that are two years old that come out. So what goes on in the stage between when I have my cocktail and go home mm-hmm. and when the hard work starts? I highly recommend, which is kind of a newer thing that I'm exploring so I could be really wrong and be like, I was so dumb back then when I said that. I highly recommend that producers um, put it out there after a party or some kind of ending event that feels final to principal photography, which is not true because most of the team in smaller budgets, any budget really, is going to go back and shoot like 20 more things without the principal photography team. Mm -hmm. Um, There's going to be inserts. There's going to be reshoots. There's going to be whole new rewrites of inserts to cover story issues. There's going to be so much more. So um, it's very unfair that it's when the movie's over, it's actually not over for a huge chunk of people. Mm -hmm. There is a time of feelings. I don't know what to call it yet. I'm still working on the name, but it's going to be um, like post-mortem time, but like uh, a moment of silence before post-mortem. So I think that producers should introduce on smaller budget movies, five million and under, mm-hmm. um, we're going to take 15 days and we're going um, to get back to you in 15 days about next steps. Because I think the producers don't need to communicate with anybody for at least two weeks so that everybody can vent and everybody can process and everybody can get pissed off and everybody can feel all the feelings that they were suppressing and stressed and get sick. That's why brides get sick on their honeymoon. I think everybody needs to decompress and we need to create a culture of, um, we need a moment of silence before post-mortem. And then two weeks later, um, you know, the producing team, the above the line production team should get together and have a meeting where if there's anything that still is lagging 15 days later that's really upsetting, that's where they should talk about it Mm -hmm. before they get into the next steps. I don't think we should be pushing people into the editing booth right away. I don't think, I think 15 days is not going to ruin a movie. It takes me 30 days to deliver the rest of the paperwork to SAG. So I think Mm. everything else can handle 30 days. (laughs) So 15 days, I think, is a... 
we'll get back to you in 15 days means that you can go home, um, you can decompress, you can rest, and you can cry, and you can call your mom, and you can complain, and then you can, like... And, like, sleep for 36 hours. Yeah, and talk <laughs> about that person that you had a crush on, and that showmance will end within 15 days, for so sure. everybody doesn't have to deal with that. Um, there's so much that happens there, and a lot of angry and hurt feelings. I've had producers, after movies that I've done, say that they would never work with me again, but they didn't say it to me. They said it to colleagues... Um, and they were wrong. They were just frustrated. Yeah. And I said that I would never work with some people again. And I calmed down and I let it go. And I shouldn't have said those things. And if I had 15 days to process that, I think I would have gotten over those feelings. It gets very intense when you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many good feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. But then it's really slippery into the, I think it's just an emotional thing about being human. Mm -hmm. I think that when you, you have mountaintop experiences and then you have depression and like, you know, baby blues, there's lots of things that you have to go through in life that like when you're in a good thing, there has to be the, the dip afterwards Mm -hmm. for you to process and store and rest and whatever. Anyway, the point is after that 15 days, (laughs) um, your post-production team should be hard at work making this, um, puzzle into a a finished puzzle and like gluing all the pieces together and then painting over it completely and making it a new puzzle (laughs) and doing all this like magic it's just magic like there's a bunch of like little elves in a room and they put all the footage into like a pot and they like I don't know, rainbow it into gold. I don't know how they do it. I would kill yeah. myself. I truly yeah. am not Oh, well, that's why it costs so job. much money is because we have to pay for the elves. They're very expensive. They're very expensive. They're so on so top of it. So worth it. My God. Yeah. They're incredible. So the elves do their thing. And then one producer is usually the point producer who is the person who is continually talking to actors. And I talk about this, I think, in one of my pages of my book. Anyway, um, <laughs> this poor producer, is, I do, I did. I just finished doing the audiobook, so I've read the book aloud recently, so it feels really weird to be like, I can recall all of the information almost word for word sometimes because oh, I feel like it's so just cool. was right there. Audible. So you got to, yeah. Um, so your producer is always your advocate as an actor because most of these people listening are actors. Um, this producer is always delivering you bad news and not great news, and this producer, producer takes a beating and uh, for four years or two years or nine years. This producer will absorb all of your bad feelings and all of your ghosting. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Um, and all of your lack of enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. and this producer is very sad, <laughs> and I am this producer. Um, so that producer is the one who updates you on what's happening throughout okay. the rest of the process, and the people who are paying the elves, and the elves are making magic, <laughs> they are also um, probably working on a test screening at some point, and then at the test screening, which actors should not be at, Okay. Nobody involved in the film is supposed to be at a test screening on purpose. Uh, actors should not watch their movies until they're in a theater. Actors should never watch a cut of their movies. Never watch a cut of footage. Never request real footage before it's done, you little jerks. Me too. I've totally done that before. <clears throat> never do it again. <laughs> um, but also I do it. Uh, I mean, it's just like four years, you guys. <laughs> I just want my real footage. It's like, no, because it's not going to be as good. And also it's rude. 
Yeah, that's good to know. Uh, it's unfortunate. I don't, yeah, the whole system's hard. But then the movie's done, and they decide whether or not they want to go straight to distribution. Do they want to sell it here? Do they want to, um, I don't know, shelve it because it's brilliant and you need more money to reshoot it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or do you want to do film festivals? So if you're going to go on the film festival circuit, actors should jump on board to be supportive. Whether or not they're actually present has nothing to do with it. Supporting it on social media and supporting it lots of places because that's the first marketing campaign it has, Great. and it follows the film forever. Um, good things happen there and also actors get hired like most of the the stuff that I got I'd say was meeting artists and filmmakers at film festivals getting to know them better being like close social media colleagues and friends and then eventually um, becoming somebody that they consider for a role so I think it's really important to go on the film festival circuit because they also know that you support films and that's uh, a team member that you don't have to You don't have to worry. Um, When a team member, specifically a a bigger actor in a movie, Mm -hmm. um, bigger as in like role size, when they don't participate, it's not a neutral position. Yeah. When they don't participate, it actually is a negative. Um, It brings the film down. It brings the team down. It brings morale down. It hurts marketing that things just like live somewhere and die somewhere. Mm -hmm. And... um, we don't want to act, work with actors like that again. Yeah. But we also know that they can't, you know, an actor is not being paid for their um, their social and um, professional yeah. capital. It's not fair to require it, but honestly, it's nice to share it. Yeah, and I get where that would be a negative. I My question is, and this is purely <laughs> very selfish, uh, for example, like I have this movie coming out, and Yay, congratulations. Super it's so exciting. exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I, they would like, they want to invite us to go on the festival circuit, to go to some theaters and this and that. How have you subsidized your life during these times? Because I'm not entirely sure that I can afford to travel and go to all these places. How have you made it work before? If they can't afford it, which you would know if they could or couldn't afford it, mm-hmm. or you can ask if they couldn't or couldn't afford to support you. Um, you know, some films budget it which is what you should do if it's part of your goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some films can't budget and some films are out of money. Um, It's not for the film. It's for you. So it's a choice that you're making for you. Um, Because if you can't be there, you can't be there. You can still support it online. You don't have to be there to support anything ever. But do you want to talk to people? Um, It's expensive and it's hard. But I mean, hi, I'm always down to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like talking. I mean, like, with a microphone, um, it would be great. If you can find a way to afford to be there just for the screening and visible and at the Q&A afterwards and take advantage of the media that's gathered in that situation, like mm-hmm. taking the photos, taking video and things like that. And if you can participate, um, it's for you. It's an opportunity for you. So it's really not a matter of um, the film as an actor mm-hmm. because you want to be supportive. But if you want to be there, it's... This is an opportunity you're not going to get for a few more years, and it's just as valuable as acting. Oh, I love that. I think that's so true. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit, because holy shit, I've really kept you going on that for a long time. <laughs> Thanks. So what can I talk about next? It's um, amazing, because so many actors want to create things, too, and I yeah. think they have trouble knowing where to start. So we had a great episode with... Um, <laughs> Uh, Alexandra Boland and mm-hmm. um, Helena yeah. Santos from yeah. Us in the Biz, uh, where they talked about distribution. And They're all wonderful that world. people, and I love them. They're amazing, and follow them and be their best friends. Go ahead. So, <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, so, how 
what tell me about your hustle anti-hustle mentality yeah so (laughs) i'm really into um, it individual meritocracy is that you uh there's some kind of merit or value or worth placed on you based on your individualism like uh america is very individualistic as opposed to a different culture that has um an honor like you represent your family in america you don't represent your family you represent you if you're white um usually you represent yourself in uh, cultures like this and um what you do is a very bootstrap thing. However, I encounter especially a lot of young women and occasionally some young men, like really great hustlers. Ace Marrero takes great care of himself and gets out there. He's an amazing actor. Emmanuel Boria is really getting out there. He's an amazing actor. There's some actors who do that, but I run into a lot of women who do everything. They take really good care of themselves, more so than they should for mental health purposes. Um, They go above and beyond to be at 100 things a day. They're always present. They're always on top of it. They are, I have no idea how they're maintaining a social media life throughout all of it. They're um, making content. They're acting. They're making podcasts. They're doing all the things. And they think that it's going to translate into more roles. And I don't want to say that's not true because it is true that it can become more roles. But the amount of work we're putting into one area um, is also taking away from another part of your life that I don't know if you guys know this, but like there's more than just the film industry. Wait, what? <laughs> I know. It's, I'm just going. <laughs> I'm just going. Um, <laughs> gotcha. April Fool's. <laughs> um, so there will be... Um, there will be times where you can tell that, like, do you know the name of the checkout person at Gelson's that you see every day? Do you know the name of the person at 7-Eleven that you always buy coffee from? Do you know the name of your neighbors? Um, are they people? Are you a person? In an emergency, who are you meeting on the street, like, outside your house because we all have our lights out and, like, oh, you also have a dog. Do you want them to blah, blah, blah? I've got some water. You know, like, are you a person? Because a lot of effort is being put into these strangers that aren't seeing you as much as you are an important, valuable person in the world. And I think that it changes the way you see yourself and the way you value yourself. And also it changes how often you interact in the world around you. Because, you know, there are emergencies. But also, like, are you participating in life? And if you're not participating in life, oh my gosh, you're actually making yourself less interesting. So when the time comes and you're at that party, I do not want to talk to you about anything because you're not a person. You don't have interests. Honestly, there's so many times that people are getting along and networking and like they hit it off and they become besties. And you're like, what was the magic? It was like, oh, they both play the same sport. Oh, they both like golf. Oh, they both have a passion for something. So if you're not actually like feeding or being, um, you're not going to accidentally create legitimate, authentic relationships and friendships. And then there's the other half of it. Um, Men between 20 and 45 who are white are not better at networking and auditioning and acting and doing things. But they are getting cast more because there's more roles for them. So there might be this feeling that there's more work for them and that they're getting it. They're not. The roles are just there. For every time you're trying to go after these roles that don't exist, I would love for actors to just take like half of that energy into putting it into creating one role 
for somebody who's, you know, in a wheelchair or holds a cane or over 55 or a woman of color or an underrepresented group of any kind, if you could just take one role that you create in your content creation, that does more damage to the whole system of the patriarchy of like what roles exist than it does to go after these roles that literally don't exist yet. Creating one or two roles a year is a better use of your time. And those people that you're putting on the screen are actually going to have like one more step up the industry and they know who you are and they're going to hire you one day. And that's the world I want to be in anyway. So to say that I can work really hard and I can bootstrap my ass into a role is bullshit when the role doesn't exist. And so if there's just less roles for these women who are just gorgeous, barely eating on top of it, you know, creatives who do everything. I'm so happy for them. But if they would just take an ounce in the other direction, I feel like they would accidentally do more for everybody, themselves included. Um, because you're just not going to, you're not going to like secret the roles to exist. Mm. You have to like go do it somewhere else. And yeah, it's small. Yeah, it's dumb. And yeah, it's hard and expensive and whatever. But um I don't, uh, <laughs> I just don't think that enough people who are younger in Hollywood understand that um, meeting enough people and networking enough doesn't mean anything if you don't have uh, real people, like real friends. Because who's going to be there so when beautiful. you get, you know, divorced? God. Who's going to be there when your baby's born? Like... Who's going to come over and visit you and your baby? You don't have any value to the film industry. Why am I going to go hang out with you right now? I mean, that's... I, I could ask you a bunch of more questions, but that was just such a beautiful ending. I think oh, I would like nice. to keep it. Okay. Uh, we'll do a little, I just like, said a mean thing about people who had babies. I have two babies. No, I felt very undervalued. About, like, and now I feel overvalued. Stuff, whatever. We have, I have yeah, so yeah. many questions for you. We'll yeah. have, we're going to cover some more in another tidbit, but... Um, if people, obviously, we're going to have a link to your book uh, in the show yeah. notes. Yeah, movie baking. Yeah, um, movie baking, colon, the indie work-at-home parent filmmaker, which is a really long linked. title. That's why we linked. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it says movie baking. The idea is that um, a lot of younger artists and older artists alike have uh, lifestyle obligations. Either you have children is just one example. Mm-hmm. Um, but a work-at-home parent filmmaker is also like, there's dog parents, there's people who take care of their aging parents, there's people who have um, disabilities in that um, a lot of their uh, accessibility for themselves is enough spoons of their day. There's only so much bandwidth. You have to take care of yourself. Um, This book has a lot of tips and tricks and philosophy on filmmaking. I've got uh, education, uh, a lot of transparency in education, a lot of distribution, a lot of filmmaking goals and philosophy, but also like a chapter on lactation and how we can, which means breastfeeding, and um, how men and women alike can be... um, supplementing like uh, breastfeeding education into our contracts and into our parent-friendly lifestyle so that it's not a thing. My girlfriend, sorry, I'm going to tell another story. No, it's okay. <clears throat> My girlfriend's amazing, and I'm not going to say her name because I don't want to point it out. Um, she's amazing. She had a baby two months ago, and she's so talented, and she is a script coordinator on a show, and she just went back to work because I just started. 
And she was telling me this lovely story last night. Ooh, I'm never going to tell her about this. <laughs> <laughs> about how it was wonderful. It was very positive about how her team looked up the laws, made sure that they're going to get her a pumping room and they're going to get the you know table and chair for the room. And they're going to do all these things. She's telling me the story. And on the inside, I was just like crying because the room wasn't ready when she showed up, uh, which is illegal. And everybody made a big deal about it and was positive and supportive. It's none of their damn business. They shouldn't have said anything to anyone. It's her business whether or not anybody knows she's lactating. All these people were really supportive and like awkward about it and like really care about her. It's none of their business. None of them should have known in the first place. Mm. None of it was done right. And all of it was done with such good heart. And she's so happy with how it went. And a 20-year-old should not walk into that. You do not need to be an advocate for your body. You do not need to become an advocate because something changed about you. And you do not need your private information to be shared with production, multiple people who talk to you about it because it's none of their damn business. It's your business to tell people when you're pregnant. It's your business to tell them that you're lactating. It's your business to be like, look at me breastfeeding my baby openly and comfortably. Like, it's your business what you want to do. But the fact that, um, anyway, people don't understand that parent-friendly practices are not just being tolerant of you and celebrating you. It also means recognizing the autonomy of you. Mm. And if we're not seeing artists and people who have lifestyle obligations as people who are deserving of privacy, we're not doing them a favor by following the fucking law. Yeah, it does feel like a self-congratulatory, like, hey, look at us, we're so progressive. Yeah, like, I'm going to do everything that you need. Let's make, like, fanfare. Yes. I'm involved in this. And it's like, you are not involved it's in like this. People do a good deed and they post about it on Instagram. It's yeah. like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Why wasn't that room set up a week ago? Yeah. Um, but she's an adult and she had a great time. And I'm actually really excited that it wasn't a big deal to get what you want. Mm-hmm. So I've got Small like victories. articles on like a hundred different things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with uh, making sure that we're taking care of each other and we're testing our own scripts for inclusion because you don't need somebody else to be like, well, that doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Um, you should have done it yourself. Um, you know, it's a pretty easy, it's a pretty easy <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, you should use Google for things and you should have a lot of grace for people when other people fail, which is also great. And I think that that's um, in this weird cancel culturally world. I don't want to shame anybody in situations. I want them to recognize and do something about it and change. And I don't think that um, people who are underrepresented and people who lack uh, a welcome spirit from the industry and uh, people that lack advocates and support should be the people who need to go the extra mile And I've been so privileged and so blessed that I want to share a book that also like educates everybody to be like, these are all things we should all just like be doing now. Um, But also like, this is the shit that goes down on distribution. This is exactly what you should be asking. Here's 20 questions you ask a distributor when you meet them for the first time so that you can actually be like, I don't know what any of these questions means, but I copy and pasted it from this book. (laughs) And then they have to answer them. You know, there's like tons of that. That's awesome. Yeah. So you can hit all the all the notes. Yeah, there's a section on family and parenthood, and which is really important to discuss, even if you don't have kids, because like what happens when you see somebody you know on TV is something you should talk about with kids 
even if they're not your kids that or even if the parents aren't actors but their friends are actors like there's a lot to discuss general education yes um media literacy is Mm -hmm. a big thing that I care about and then there's a section on producing where it's all the producing information and tips and tricks and then a section on screenwriting and acting and film festivals since I spent so many years going to so many festivals I have a lot of opinions and then um, a whole section on industry culture and community community building and also community leaving sick yeah this is great okay this will be linked I love talking I love (laughs) you're the best best Uh, of a person um what anywhere else you want to direct people to other than the links in the show notes for your book your own personal social media or website anything like that um, I post about like all of our movies that are coming out on like my Instagram. I think that's a good public place um, okay. at Jenica Renee, as well as our newest movie, The Man in the Trunk, came yeah. out, which is doing really well. And our more like feminine, you know, infertility and starting over movie, um, Parker's Anchor, is doing really well. And both of those are streaming on Prime Video now. So like the accessibility of getting everything finally on streaming is like great everybody go watch it go celebrate and also rate and review people's things yes even your friends even if you saw it 10 years ago just go back and like learn how to rate and review nice things it's like i liked it this person blah that's all it's so helpful it's so helpful (laughs) yeah um this was so lovely. Thank you for having me. I'm Thank you for so letting me excited. talk. Of course. I might have to have you back because we might get a billion questions from this. Oh, cool. In I, case, I can do that. I know where to find you. Yeah. <laughs> or you can read the book and might answer a lot of your questions. Which my book basically says, please message me right away with all your questions. <laughs> and you're going to get 700 emails that say, yeah. I loved your movie. It's so good. <laughs> and I'll be like, I can't wait to answer your questions. Let me spend 14 hours writing you a novel about this because I get joy out of it. Oh, thank you so much for being here. This was fantastic. Thank you. Guys, I'll talk to you in just a bit. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I hope it gave you some solid content, a little food for thought, maybe while you're quarantined or social distancing at home. Uh, You guys can check out Jenica's book, Movie Baking, the Indie Work-at-Home Parent Filmmaker, is available for pre-order on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and it comes out March 24th, so very soon. You should also follow her on Instagram because she's pretty awesome. So huge thank you to you, Jenica, for your time and your energy and also for your orchid because it's beautiful. I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) If you guys learned a single awesome thing from this podcast, please make sure you rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you're subscribed because we only got a couple more episodes left this season, but we have some bonus content coming out for self-tapril. Make sure you're following on Instagram at One Broke Actress for updates on that. Thank you, Laurel Canyon Creative, for your production help on this podcast. Thank you, Maggie Zabo, for your beautiful theme song. And guys, no matter what, I will talk to you next week. <laughs>